Alright boys and girls, episode 137 is about to start with Greg Knuckles, and it's another amazing episode, as always, and one of my favorite things that we chatted about in this episode is about grip strength. I feel like it's an underrated thing that the industry does not talk about enough. We talk about his opinion on it, how to train it, how to break through plateaus, powerlifting, all of the projects that he's working on, and how he manages his time by going to school, running businesses, and coaching, and also working out on top of it. So here we go. Here's Greg Knuckles. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is the man, Greg Knuckles. Say hello. Hey, hey. Uh, so I like to always start with the first question to break the ice for the audience and ask my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend? Oh, um, well, probably, probably just a fair amount of work because uh, that is my life. Um, but going on a date with my wife on Saturday, that'll be fun. Going to get some tapas and uh, watch Deadpool. Nice. So I, I do I do have a weekend plan this time, which is rare. So you uh, you caught me on a good Friday. <laughs> Perfect. It's interesting, though, like a lot of coaches that are doing really well in the industry, it's like you ask them, oh, what are you doing this weekend? They're like, well, you know, I'm probably going to write a new blog. I'm probably going to do some programs. I'm working on another book. I have no weekend. <laughs> yeah, the the last time I truly had a weekend was like college. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. I just pr- pretty consistent seven day a week schedule. Nice. Um, so, do you think that the new Deadpool movie is going to be as good as the first one? That's the important question right there. Um, I have high hopes. Like, I think that. Um, I think that that due to the nature of Deadpool's comedy, mm-hmm. uh, like you know, just kind of dry, sarcastic, uh, somewhat cynical humor, I think there's a pretty endless well of that. It's not like a style of comedy where, uh, like for example, take like a Kevin James movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Kevin James plays the same character in every movie, and most of the humor is either just like. He, his character does or says stupid things or falls down and it's funny he's overweight uh and so like you see that character do that type of humor in two consecutive movies and it just it loses its luster not that it had that much luster the first time around uh i think the only person who's really been able to pull that off is like chris farley mm-hmm. uh, but yeah so i i think that is a formula that that has uh that runs a very high risk of growing stale quickly. I don't think the same is necessarily true of Deadpool. Um, so I think it'll lose some of its freshness factor because it, the first one was very fresh. It was, uh, it was, it kind of broke the mold of the superhero movies that have been getting pumped out in mass. Um, so I, I don't think it'll be kind of as exciting due, due to the freshness factor. But in terms of like. The actual execution of it, I, I anticipate that it'll be just as good as the first. Yeah, like uh, I'm probably gonna go watch it tonight, and I'm really hoping it's not gonna be a letdown because it, you know, that first one was like on such a high, and I'm like, I don't know how they're gonna top this, but even the previews, they look amazing, right? So I'm like, really hoping it's gonna be good. 
But um, what that what was interesting for me is that first movie was um, seeing how many parents brought their little kids to it. Oh God! Yes. Right? And like I remember the first time I went to go see it, there was a family in front of me with like a kid that's maybe five years old, mm-hmm. and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna see how long it takes for them to leave." They stayed the entire movie. I'm like, you just oh, like man. ruined your kid for life there, and it has so many questions on that ride home. Yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna need to give them a talk. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so let's get this show started. But um, can you do a quick little intro of like who you are, what you do, and how did you first get into this industry? Sure. Um, so my name's Greg. Uh, what I do currently is. Um, well, m- most of my time is spent being a grad student at the moment. Um, also do some coaching and put out a research review called MASS, Monthly Applications in Strength Sport with Eric Helms and Mike Zordos. Uh, and I got into the industry, um, well, I, I think I always kind of wanted to get into the industry, but I didn't know of many viable career paths in the industry beyond just being a personal trainer, Um, which, like, I think I would have been totally fine with that, but I also think my parents would have killed me um, because they wanted me to, like, be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or something like that. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I think that kind of dissuaded me from going that route when I first went to college uh, I went in as a history major and got to like the senior capstone class before I realized I didn't actually want any of the jobs you could get with a history degree. Uh, I just liked learning history because I think it's really cool. Um, so after that, I basically just said, fuck it, I'm doing exercise science. Don't really have any idea what I'm going to do with this degree, but I think it sounds dope. And uh, so I'm just going to do it and see, see what becomes of it. Um, and uh yeah so it kind of just went from there awesome so what are you studying in school right now uh getting my master's in exercise physiology nice would you ever want to get like a phd i do plan on doing my own research yeah i not plan on getting a phd okay i have i have some plans related to that that uh if you talked to me again in probably three or four months I'd be able to talk about in a bit more length uh, but currently got some plans but they're under wraps no fair enough and uh, the other thing I wanted to ask is kind of like some like really lobbed easy questions to kind of get this thing flowing but what's the current book you're reading current book that I'm reading um, <laughs> so this is kind of lame right now I'm reviewing for comps so I'm reading the uh, Brooks, Fahey, and Baldwin Exercise Physiology, Human Bioenergetics, and its Applications textbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's most of my reading. Um, so, yeah. Okay, <laughs> fair enough, yeah. Um, so, the, boring answer, but that, that is <laughs> yeah. primarily what I'm uh, So the next one is what current Netflix TV series are you watching? Uh, not Netflix, but man, midway through the season of Westworld, um, I love that show. Like, I think, I think Westworld is my favorite TV show. Um, so really liking this season so far. Um, and it's not, so that's not a Netflix show. In terms of Netflix shows, uh, 
whenever I just need to kind of, you know, something quick to wind down, mm-hmm. uh, making my way through the It crowd currently, uh, British comedy about uh, IT department at a major corporation. Um, and for kind of like more serious Netflix shows, uh, also working on Mr. Robot currently. Okay, interesting. Um, and then last one, that's an easy one. If you have to go in the weight room and lift something heavy, what music are you putting on? Um, I have a really eclectic mix. Nice. And it kind of, and it kind of depends if it's normal training or like oh, a max attempt. For just like normal training, anything that's just like generally upbeat, I'm good with. Uh, I've got a lot of, like, female pop artists on my playlist, like a lot of Katy Perry, a lot of Taylor Swift. Um, but then just, like, also a lot of just a general rock. Like, I'm a big Rise Against fan. Um, nice. that, that features pretty heavily on my playlist. I, I've been really digging working out to Post Malone recently as well, nice. uh, which is not at all similar to the other ones. But for one rep max attempts, uh, I, have a, I have, like, a few songs that I always come back to. Um, one of one of them is I've Got a Name by Jim Croce. Uh, not a traditional PR song, but it works for me. Also, uh, the crescendo of Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. And then as a more conventional one, uh, also Calm Like a Bomb by Rage Against the Machine. Bam, going from Taylor Swift to Rage Against the Machine. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so the next thing I wanted to get into is like, your whole take on powerlifting like so how did you get into it in the very first place and what made you know that sport kind of like trigger something inside you be like bam i want to do that because that looks cool uh so so growing up i played pretty much all sports um baseball basketball football soccer uh pretty much anything with a ball um i just liked sports that's that's what i was all about um and then I started lifting initially to get better at basketball. Um, you know, I'm 5'10 on a good day. Uh, and, you know, I, I was one of the bigger kids, like, through middle school and early high school. Um, just because I hit my growth spurt when I was, like, 10 and haven't really grown much since I was like 11 or 12. So I used to be one of the taller guys, played under played under the rim. Uh, basketball was, was my main sport. Um, and then when everyone else started growing and they were playing above the rim and I wasn't, I was like, well, need to get stronger, work on my hops um, so I can still like compete in the post. I primarily moved to point guard at that point, but um, I still had like a strong like post identity. And if I had like a matchup with anyone like below about 6'2", I'd still post them just because that's that's where I had most of my practice uh, and killed them, which was fun. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I started lifting primarily to to work on my vertical. Um, And then in football summer practice, I got a really, really bad concussion. Um, Like, you know, the the wake up in a pile of your own vomit type concussion. Um, You know, completely lose two weeks worth of memory go to the hospital they're like super concerned like quite a bad concussion and that was the last of uh, relatively long line of, of relatively eh, of, of injuries of varying degrees of severity um, 
I was already pretty much out of baseball by that point because I pitched to the point that I no longer have a labrum in my right shoulder because uh, that was before there were pitch count rules. <laughs> um, oh, man. And uh, tore my MCL in my right knee, basically broke my left foot off of my body. Um, and then the concussion was just kind of the cherry on top. Um, and so at that point, I was basically like too injured to play real sports anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the guy who was uh, training me to um, get my vertical better for basketball was Travis Mash, whose background was in powerlifting. And he was like, ah, Knuckles, not the worst thing that could have happened to you. Uh, you're a good athlete, but you're better at lifting weights. And I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot. And the good thing about powerlifting is uh, if you wind up getting any sort of head trauma, you did something really, really wrong. And so at this point, like, since I am pretty concussion prone and, and since the doctor said, like, if you get another concussion of uh, that relative magnitude, you could either die or, like, be in a vegetative state, which are two things I'm, I'm trying to avoid um, pretty strongly. Uh, powerlifting is a good sport where risk of that is exceptionally low. Um so yeah, uh, kind of got pushed into the sport by default, um, but then I took really strongly to it, had an aptitude for it, and really enjoyed it, and I've been doing it ever since. Awesome. So do you have any like uh, meets coming up? Nah. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of doing one maybe closer to the end of the summer. Um, I don't have one on their horizon that I'm like actively prepping for, but if, if there's one close by in trainings going pretty well leading up to that point, I could see myself just kind of like randomly registering for one. But for the time being, uh, between trying to be a student and run two businesses, uh, training time has been pretty significantly curtailed. Um, I, I'm able to do a lot more training over the summer, which it's been good to get back in, into the swing of it. Um, so, yeah, probably probably hit up a meet at some point in 2019 after I graduate, but nothing on the nothing on the immediate horizon. Oh, fair enough. And I'm happy you brought up that you have so much stuff going on because I'm kind of curious about what you do for time management because, like, all these coaches I've had on the show tend to be doing, like, a million things at the same time. So I wonder, like, what your take on, you know, time management or what you do that works for you. Uh, <laughs> just not sleep much. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't sleep, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a grad student, which is a full-time job. Um, mass is probably two and, two and a half weeks out of the month, a full-time job, and, like, the other week and a half pretty chill. And then stronger by science is um, stronger by science and coaching is eh, I would say probably another twenty-ish hours per week. Um, so when everything kind of like peaks and is at a head, uh, comfortably working a hundred plus hours per week, um, which at that point time management doesn't exist. Like you work, you sleep when you can, you wake up the next day and repeat the process. Um, so I guess that's not really a great tip. Uh, definitely not something that would be sustainable long-term, yeah. but for two years, I can swing it. It's fine. Well, are you a type of person that like needs the full seven to eight hours to function or can you like live off of like three or four? Um, 
I mean, to function at my best, like nine or ten hours. Yeah. Um, I I am I am quite the sleeper. Um, like, I I think I'm better than most at functioning on little sleep. Um, like there there were times last semester where. Uh, it would be Friday, and I would have maybe, like, pulled two all-nighters to that point in the week and slept, like, four or five hours the nights that I did get to sleep. And by Friday, like, I'm just feeling like a, a bag of ground-up assholes. And, uh, <laughs> but, like, no one else could tell that I was uh, not at my best. So I think I'm pretty good at hiding it. Um, thankfully, caffeine exists, and... Uh, so yeah, like I, I definitely don't feel good, and I don't think I ever perform at my best on low sleep. But I, I think I function adequately well. Uh, but again, that's not, that's certainly not something I'd want to do long term. Like I feel, I feel awful, and if I can still perform in spite of feeling awful, again, that's that's not an ideal, but it's a viable like short term solution. Like until I get out of grad school, but um, definitely not something I'd want to do long term. No, oh, fair enough. Um, so the next thing I wanted to get into, you mentioned you had a lot of injuries in the past. Like, did it ever affect your powerlifting? Like, did you have to adjust anything or switch up a stance or anything like that? Um, uh, it's affected my squat. Okay. Um, so one of the reasons I squat with such a wide stance is a wide stance doesn't require as much ankle dorsiflexion. Um, and because of my ankle injury, I have very, very, very limited, limited dorsiflexion in my left ankle. Um, so like just a wide stance squat agrees with my hips the most anyway. So I probably would be squatting wider than normal uh, anyways, but the lack of ankle mobility has kind of limited what what squat styles are available to me. Um, and I got a back injury uh, pretty early into my lifting career, like I'd say maybe a year and a half in or so. Um, that still, like to this day, isn't perfectly back to normal. Um, and that that's affected my deadlift. Um, if I train my deadlift too hard, like too frequently with too high a volume, um, I have like some SI joint issues that'll flare up and really set me back for like several weeks and potentially like a month plus. Um, so I've had to, I've had to be really mindful of deadlift technique and also kind of, kind of like baby my training, uh, a little bit just because like the, the other lifts, like, eh. If I bench too much, my left elbow will, will get a little cranky. My right shoulder will get a little cranky. I'll be like, oh, I've been benching too much. You know, dial back volume for like a week or so and I feel fine. Um, whereas deadlift, like if I push it a little bit too hard, uh, I really pay the price for that for a, a fairly long period of time. Um, so that that's affected the degree to which I can train that lift. Um, so... I've had to get pretty creative in terms of like training around it. Uh, block pulls have been really, really clutch for me. I found that uh, really it's just like the bottom, maybe like three or four inches of the lift uh, that increase the odds of, of back issues flaring up. Um, 
So I can pull sumo a fair amount with pretty high volume just fine. Um, and I can do like four inch block pulls just fine. Um, and I can do trap bar deadlifts just fine. So um, I very rarely do like normal conventional deadlifts from the floor like the way I would on the platform. Um, but I can do variations that are similar enough to it that I can still get a decent training effect. And I think that's probably had a negative impact on my deadlift overall. Like I, I don't think I'm pulling as much as I would be, would I have never had that injury. Um, but at the end of the day, like I still pull 735, so it hasn't affected me. It hasn't affected me too badly. Like I, I still get by. So when you get a, like a flare up in your back, like what's kind of your recovery strategy to get back into it as soon as possible? Um, not try to get back into it as soon as possible. <laughs> um, I mean, so when I was younger and stupider, um, I, I still very much think I'm young and stupid now, but uh, I used to be younger because that's how time works. And I used to be much stupider. Um, and I would try to rush it and uh, load it before it was ready to be loaded and all of that stuff. Uh, and so, you know, a setback that should have taken three weeks to to get better, uh, you know, I'd wait like two weeks and then start trying to push things again and then it would flare up again and then it's another three-week setback and just repeat that process for like months on end. Um, so I've learned that I, I need to be pretty conservative with it. Um, things that help it include uh, light, really long paused squats. So talking like putting 135 on the bar and just like sitting down in the hole for like three or four minutes. Um, that helps loosen things up. Uh, single leg RDLs have been really helpful. Um, just keeping my glute meads and piriformises from getting uh, tight and weak. Um, and kind of on the prehab side of things, Jefferson curls, um, which are basically like super light deadlifts with a crap ton of spinal flexion. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I say super light, I'm talking like I pull 700 plus and I never use more than maybe like 50 pounds for Jefferson curls. Um, those have been really helpful for just keeping my back kind of more pliable and resilient. Um, but in terms of like when a flare up actually happens, I do the pause squats. Uh, I try to stay generally active. Like if I can't go to the gym because everything hurts and everything will make it flare up, uh, except for upper body training. Like I obviously still train upper body. Um, I'll, I'll just like go on long walks that helps keep it loose, helps it, uh, recover a little bit faster. Um, and past that, just, just kind of give it the time it needs and, uh, that, that is the best approach to management that I've found for it thus far. It's interesting that you brought up the Jefferson curl because I know a lot of people look at that and they're like, oh my God, no chance in hell am I going to put my back through it. So I'm kind of curious what brought you to that conclusion that, hey, this will probably work for me. Um, so I think people have a problem of thinking categorically rather rather than thinking in terms of degrees and shades of gray mm -hmm. um and so like you know we know that going through a ton of repeated flexion cycles probably isn't smart 
And we know that even though there's there's some counter evidence to that, but that that would be for a physical therapist to come on the show and talk about, not me. Um, and we know that it's really probably not a good idea to go through a lot of spinal flexion under really heavy loading. Um, so I think people kind of take those two things like, oh, we shouldn't do a bunch of flexion cycles. We shouldn't go in flexion under heavy load and just kind of categorize that to say like, oh, therefore flexion is bad. Um, when I think that that's like a very simplistic way of looking at it. Um, so just because doing it a lot of, like a lot, a lot of times is bad and doing it under really heavy load is bad doesn't necessarily then mean that going into flexion a few times with a really light load is bad. Um, and also I think people get... I think people like categorize loaded and lo and unloaded exercises kind of too willy-nilly as well. So if you just bend over and touch your toes and let your back flex while you do that, uh, you're going to find a vanishingly small number of people who would say like, oh no, that's bad, you're gonna blow out your discs. It's like, no, of course you're not. Like people bend over to pick stuff up all the time. And like how many people have actually blown their back out just bending over to touch their toes without any external load? But when you're doing that, like, if you're actually looking at what is imposing a mo like a, a flexion movement on your spine, like your body's not weightless. If you bend over in spinal flexion with no external load, um, you're you're that's still like load that those vertebrae are feeling, um, and that's very unproblematic for just about everyone. And then you know you add 30, 40 pounds to it. I think that I could get just as much benefit from doing it without any weight. I think the only thing the weight forces me to do is just keep the movement more strict. But, you know, my my body from the waist up weighs considerably more than 40 or 50 pounds. So adding the additional 40 or 50 pounds definitely isn't heavy loading as far as my spine is concerned. Um, and I'm not doing like thousands of reps of it. so. The two things that were relatively confident contribute to disc injuries, uh, heavy load, and a crap ton of flexion extension cycles, neither of those two things are in play when you're talking about Jefferson curls. And I could, I would be very open to an argument against heavy Jefferson curls. Like, you know, if someone wants to throw on 225 and do that, uh, I would say that's probably stupid. But... Um, for me, what, what it more feels like is that um, it just helps, like, build resiliency uh, in those muscles. Like, you know, you, you want your muscles to be strong and pliable and capable of doing what they need to do and supporting the joints they need to support through their full range of motion. And if we're only training our spinal erectors, uh, like, isometrically, in a position of spinal extension, then, you know, it's, it's, odds are fairly decent. They'd lose some pliability. They'd lose some extensibility. And also, uh, strength is range of motion specific. Like, they could be really strong when held isometrically in extension, but also, like, weak and generally useless if they have to do something in a flex position. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, the biggest thing there is it makes sure that my spinal erectors and my quadratus lumborum and all of those little guys are, are capable 
of actually going through their full range of motion and functioning properly through their full range of motion. Um, and at least for me, like it hasn't caused any issues. It hasn't, that has never made my back flare up. Um, and since I've started doing it more regularly, like five or six years ago, um, like my back issues haven't totally gone away, but flare ups have become uh, much less frequent. So I, you know, you, you can never establish cause and effect with an N of one. Uh, but for me, at least, it seems to have been helpful. And I, I'm not aware of a strong rationale uh, for why one might expect it to be harmful. Okay, fair enough. Would you, like, recommend the Jefferson Curl for the general population or just for people who've had quite a bit of experience with, like, lifting? Anything rehab or prehab related, I completely wash my hands of it and tell people to talk to mm-hmm. a physical yeah, fair so enough. So I, I would not recommend them, nor would I recommend anything. I would recommend people talk to a physical therapist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other question I wanted to bring up is, like, your take on, like, the mixed grip on the deadlift. Because I know, I believe it was Stuart McGill who said that he'd shy away for it, f- away from it just to build up grip strength. But I'm kind of curious on your take. Um, man... It's a loaded so the, question. <laughs> yeah, the the arguments the arguments against mixed grip that I've heard are that one, it's uh, a somewhat asymmetrical exercise, and people are concerned that developing any side to side asymmetry is going to be bad and increase injury risk. And I think that the evidence for that is is vanishingly small. Um, so I don't necessarily buy that. Um, the other argument against it that I've heard is that um, it can increase your risk of bicep tears, which is absolutely true um, if you're predisposed to bicep tears. So um, I think that is worth keeping in mind. Um, like I've I've never seen a hooker at deadlifter tear a bicep. I've never seen someone pulling double overhand with straps tearing a bicep. Uh, I've never seen someone just doing a regular double overhand deadlift who drops a tear a bicep. Uh, every bicep tear that I've seen in the deadlift is with a mixed grip, and it's the underhand bicep that tears. Um, so that's not something I'm too, too concerned about just in general, because even though that does seem to pretty clearly increase your risk of bicep tears in the deadlift, uh, like relative risk goes way up. Uh, the absolute risk is still quite low. Um, so, you know, if, if it increases your risk 500%, but the absolute risk is still 1%, ultimately it still doesn't matter all that much. Um, so what I would say is, like, if you're deadlifting primarily for, like, physique reasons and developing side-to-side asymmetries matters to you for, like, just a aesthetics standpoint, uh, then sure. Either learn to mix grip, pull with straps, um, while I understand why Stu McGill might say pull double overhand to build grip strength, that's just not viable once you get relatively strong. Um, if you can double overhand deadlift 500 pounds, you have a world-class grip. Uh, and But if you have a world-class deadlift and you're pulling, you know, seven, 800 pounds, like training with 500 pounds, for singles, which is probably the absolute limit of your grip strength, 
isn't going to really do much for you. Um, so I think you're you're probably going to have to either go with hook grip, mix grip, or straps long term. Um, and I think again for for someone who uh, either isn't limited by grip strength, like you know you can either mix grip or hook grip, um, and you're you're just not going to drop the bar. I think training with straps is fine. I think training with straps is fine. Um, if you're gonna again like be deadlifting for like physique reasons and side to side asymmetries just don't look good in a mirror or on stage uh and then for power lifters like ultimately it just comes down to what can you hold on to um if you have a good hook grip and you can deal with the pain of hook gripping then um you know probably don't need to do mixed grip deadlifting and training um if you don't have a good hook grip and you're gonna hold on to more with a mixed grip than double overhand you should probably train that mixed grip because ultimately that's that's what's going to matter to you and your performance on the platform uh so yeah i I think that's that's largely context dependent um if someone can deadlift in a fashion and get what they want out of the lift without needing to use a mixed grip i think that's probably slightly preferable um but i also think that kind of the drawbacks and risks of pulling with a mixed grip are, are relatively small uh and and the risks are um typically overstated no, that was a good answer i like that um and i'm happy you're talking about grip strength because one of the questions we got from facebook is kind of your tips and tricks to build grip strength in an athlete <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm probably not the best person to ask about that honestly because i like i'm a power lifter that's what i do and my sport-specific grip strength is fantastic. Um, I pull with a mixed grip and deadlift somewhere in the low to mid sevens. And in terms of like what I can just like put on uh, put on blocks and like do a very partial block pull and hold on to with my grip, somewhere in the mid eights. So my grip doesn't limit me for my sport. Won't ever limit me on the platform, uh, or at least hasn't to this point. So I don't do any grip training whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, however, my grip beyond the sport of powerlifting is awful. Um, and I think that's something, I mean, it's not awful, but it's it's subpar relative to what I can grip on a barbell. Um, and I think that is something important about grip strength that people don't often consider. Um, like training specificity for everything else, people are totally on board with and just kind of grasp. Uh, either from a research perspective or they grasp it intuitively. Um, But the same thing applies to grip strength. Um, Like there are different types of grip strength. Like a pinch grip is different from like a a static grip, like a static grip on a barbell versus a static grip on a fat bar versus a crushing grip with like captains, captains of crush grippers or something like that. Um, like those are all different aspects of grip strength. And like a lot of that is hand strength and then finger strength is something else altogether. So, you know, can you do like, uh, what's it called? Like where, where you do pull-ups like on, on the top of a door, like just hanging off of like two Mm -hmm. fingers on each hand. Like that's, that's a completely different aspect of grip strength. Um, so I mean, my general grip training tips would be, one, determine what type of grip you need to succeed at your sport, uh, and then train that. Actually, why did I say one? There's only one thing. 
Uh, <laughs> one, determine what type of grip you need for your sport. Two, train that type of grip. And then probably three, make sure the rest aren't terrible. Um, like maybe just general grip training might be beneficial, but uh, for the most part, like if you're a powerlifter, you're gripping the bar. So make sure you can grip the bar really, really well. Um, so like deadlift holds, uh, like with heavy weights are good for that. Um, doing just some double overhand deadlifts where, you know, you're not going to be limited by back strength or hip strength, but just doing deadlifts with, uh, something that is fairly heavy double overhand until your grip gives out, that can be beneficial. Um, I, I really think the biggest thing is just timed holds. Um, like when you can get to the point that you can put your max on the bar, put it on either high pins or high blocks, deadlift it and hold it at lockout for about 30 seconds or so, you're never going to have grip problems in the deadlift ever again. Um, and that's like about as sports specific as your grip training can get. If you're, on the other hand, trying to train grip for, like, sports, most sports, um, where grip is going to be important for that is, like, generally gripping some sort of cloth, like, either being able to, like, grab someone's jersey in football and sling them down or grab someone's gi if you're doing uh, jiu-jitsu. And so, like, something that would be good sports-specific grip practice for that would be, like, towel pull-ups, or like towel rows or, or something like that. Like something where, and then also doing it with like varying amounts of fabric. So like putting the towel over the bar and gripping like both like folded over halves of the towel. So it's like a big old handful of fabric uh, and then maybe just gripping half of it. So it's like a smaller handful of fabric. Um, if you don't want to use towels, like ropes probably work just as well for that. Um, so that would be like more sports specific grip strength for most athletes. Um, if you're a strongman competitor, then most of the grip strength that's going to be relevant to you is still going to, to primarily be static grip strength. Um, but instead of just using kind of a standard width bar, you'd also need to work on your grip strength with uh, like a fat bar or like, well, if you have access to like a, competition ready axle that would that would probably be best um but you can just get a, a piece of i think it's two two and a quarter two and a half inch uh metal pipe from a home improvement store and fashion that into a barbell as well um but yeah like grip stuff with like fatter implements uh would be beneficial for strongman again because that would be sport specific um and then also i find that like I find that static grip strength is different for events where you're kind of standing still versus where you're moving. So even if the handle you're holding onto for like a farmer's walk is the same diameter as the handle of a barbell, it's completely different gripping the actual farmer's implement than it is gripping a barbell because every time you take a step, that kind of like jars your grip a little bit. So again, that's another specific grip, grip skill to train. Um, but I, I ultimately think it, it just comes down to the principle of specificity, seeing what aspect of grip strength you need to improve, like what's going to have the biggest impact on your sport and primarily focusing on that and training that. No, I like that. Those are all really good ideas. And I especially like the idea of like if whatever your max is and you just try to lock out and hold for 30 seconds. Um, would you like want to use that if you are, for example, like hitting a plateau in your deadlift and is that a one way you would 
kind of program that in to kind of crush through that? Uh, if your deadlift's limited by grip strength, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if it's not, then it probably wouldn't do that much for you. Um, so what would you do for someone, like if you had a client that kind of hit a plateau either in their squat or deadlift, like what do you usually program for people to kind of bust through plateaus? Uh, it, it ultimately comes down to uh, needs assessment for the athlete. Um, and the first place I look, well, the first place I look when an athlete comes on is, is their technique decent. Um, hopefully, I wouldn't just be figuring out that an athlete has a pretty big technical error when they reach a plateau. Like, if that happens, that's just a failing on me as a coach. But um, first thing, you know, look back at their technique. Make sure their technique's good. If they're not going anywhere because they ha- they're making some sort of major technical error, then that's the easiest thing to fix. That's what we work on. Fix the technique. Lift starts going up again. Bada boom, bada bing. Everyone's happy. Uh, if that's not on the table, if their technique's good and they're still at a plateau, then uh, first just general question is how are you feeling? Um, if they're feeling, uh, you know, if, they're, if their squat isn't going anywhere, but they're not feeling worn down, they're sleeping fine, um, they don't have any, like, kind of classic overtraining symptoms, their legs aren't sore all the time, their knees aren't feeling beat up, like, you know, they generally feel good and their squat's not going anywhere, then it's pretty straightforward. Like, at that point, just increase training volume. Um, they're probably just not doing enough to uh, to improve. If their lift is plateaued and I ask them how they're feeling and they're like, well, I feel kind of garbage, then the next question becomes, um, is, is the primary reason due to something going on in the gym or out of the gym? Uh, and the first place I look is out of the gym. So then it's like, okay, are you sleeping enough? Are you managing stress? Uh, did this plateau like maybe coincide with when stress at work really ramped up or something like that? Um, or like this one's pretty common. Uh, did all of your hit lifts hit a plateau when your first child was born? Uh, which is pretty common because lo and behold, you're stressed out of your mind and never sleeping again. Um, you know. It, is there nutrition on point? Stuff like that. See if they're taking business, taking care of business outside the gym. And more importantly, if they aren't, like if there's one of those things that's kind of subpar, is it fixable? Um, so, you know, if, uh, if someone's not sleeping much and they're not sleeping much just because they're not managing their time well and just kind of being a general degenerate, then it's like, okay, like... It, reassess this how important are your gains to you uh you have time in your schedule that you can make to sleep more you need to take it upon yourself to do that um or it might be something like i said like a new parent where they're trying to sleep but their their baby has colic or whatever and they're sleeping two hours a night there's nothing they can do about it um so see if they're taking care of business outside the gym if you identify issues see if they're fixable uh and if they're fixable fix it don't touch their training and generally, their lifts start going up again. Um, if either they are already doing a good job taking care of business outside the gym, or if there are issues but they're not uh, acutely fixable issues, then um, really the only other thing to try 
is dialing back training volume or potentially splitting their volume up over more sessions so they're not kind of wearing themselves down quite as much on a per session basis. Um, but generally trying to decrease training stress and see if uh, you can kind of get away with a little bit less stressful training to, to bring it back in line with what they're capable of recovering from uh, and hope that that will get the gains going again. But more, more often than not, more often than not, scenario one, they're feeling good, their lifts aren't going anywhere, increase volume, increase frequency, increase intensity, something, make their training harder. Um, they have the capacity to recover from it. More often than not, those people bust through their plateau, start, start gaining again, everything's good. Uh, scenario two, um, their lifts aren't going anywhere, but like they're not sleeping enough, they're stressed out of their mind, they're not eating well, they're not getting enough protein, something like that. Uh, but whatever their issue is, it's fixable. Then if they fix that issue, typically they bust through their plateau, everything's good again. The third situation where they're feeling worn down, um, and especially if there's some sort of major something going on outside the gym, like their sleep is garbage, they're stressed out of their mind, and it's not a fixable scenario, then uh, more often than not, if you decrease training volume, their lifts don't go down at that point, but that also doesn't tend to bust them past their plateau. Um, but that's kind of that kind of just puts you in a holding pattern, uh, unfortunately. Like you just kind of chill out there until um, situation improves, and then they can start making gains again. Uh, and I think that I think that a difference between like a newer lifter and a more mature lifter is um, like I'm very good at accepting like oh my the situation in my life currently is absolute garbage for making gains trying to run two businesses while being a grad student I really shouldn't expect my squat to go up in the next year like I I've been doing this long enough that I can manage my expectations and know that like there's a light at the end of this tunnel when uh, the, the the goings on in goings ons in my life are uh, more more conducive to getting stronger again then yeah I can ramp up training volume again keep making progress and everything's fine like I can take that long term view um, whereas I think a lot of people kind of get um, just a little bit too antsy and they kind of think that like no matter what they should always be making progress and that if their program was just a little bit better they would they would still their lips would still be going up they'd still be making gains but i mean sometimes sometimes that's just not possible with a hand you're dealt and part of being an athlete and lifting for the long run is being able to uh, recognize and accept those situations when when circumstances are outside your control and you do everything you can to control the things that are controllable um, but you can you can accept that there will be uh, occasionally dry spells for for reasons that you can't entirely control no that was really good advice thank you um, the next thing I wanted to get into I'm kind of curious for myself is what is the one question that keeps popping up that you've 
you know, probably written so many different articles for, you spoke about in events that people continually ask you. And then the second part of the question is, what's the one question you wish people asked you more of? Um, what questions do people? People ask me a pretty, they ask me a pretty eclectic mix of questions. Um, I'll tell you the two that annoy me the most. Okay. Uh, one is I'm dealing with such and such injury. How do I fix it? I'm like, dude, I'm not a, I'm not a fucking physical therapist. Don't ask me this goddamn question. Uh, I get like four or five of those a day, and I'm like. You you see me. I'm I'm a lifter and a strength coach. I'm not a fucking physical therapist. Of all people, why are you asking me this question? But it happens all the time, and that that just really bugs me because they're wasting my time. They're wasting their time, and they should know better. Um, and the second one is uh, just people asking me for forms checks, and I get like a dozen of those a day. And it's like, come on, man, like. <laughs> I have better things to do with my time. Uh, like, I'm not coaching you. You're not paying me. Uh, if I if I did this for everyone, I'd literally never get anything done with my life. Uh, so those two, those two things happen. And I don't think that's unique to me. I think everyone who's kind of, like, made a name for, their, for themselves to some degree in the lifting space probably deals with those two things constantly. But if you're, if you're listening to this, if someone's not a physical therapist, don't ask them about your particular injury or injuries in general. Uh, and if they are a physical therapist, don't ask them and expect them to answer it for free. Like, that's their job. Like, expect to pay them. Um, and then also, like, if, if, you, if you can realistically make the assumption that someone is a busy individual, like, don't ask them for a form check. That's that's just rude. That's like you're you're asking them to render their professional services for free again. Um, and like if you want to if you want to take your car into a mechanic and say like, hey man, can you just kind of take a look at my tire and change it? Uh, don't expect the same general type of service from someone who who does this professionally. Um, Question I wish I wish people would ask me more is um, probably just stuff about like screening screening sources uh, and like assessing claims because um, I I feel like I feel like people are are constantly looking for the truth, in quotes, whatever that means, um, but but don't spend much time looking for uh, or, or learning about reliable ways to to ascertain the, the relative truth or lack thereof of a claim. Um, and I kind of liken that to uh, if you're a lumberjack and you go into the woods and you have to chop down 10 trees in a day, but you forget to sharpen your ax. I, I kind of see that as the same way. Like people kind of asking for advice that takes, takes the form of, of facts or claims, uh, but not doing the work to, to be able to um, kind of discriminate between claims of various quality. Like I think learning that stuff is, is akin to sharpening your ax. 
And ultimately, if you want to chop down those trees, make sure you're chopping down the right trees, uh, you need to sharpen your axe. Actually, I guess that's not a great analogy, but you, 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 you get what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, so maybe one of the last questions, and I'm assuming this is an inside joke because Patrick Umphrey asks, uh, can you ask him why we've had two consecutive fitness summits where he has not jumped over my head? Um, so I like jumping over people. I just think, I just think it's fun. Okay. Uh, I jump uh, substantially better than one would expect from looking at me. Uh, so, so back in the day when I played basketball, I could dunk. And I can still grab rim on a 10-foot goal. Uh, which for a five foot nine and a half, two hundred and fifty pound white dude is is rather unexpected <laughs> for most people. Uh, so I just think it's fun to jump over folks. And my current PR is uh, six foot six. Wow. And uh, I keep hoping Jason Helms will come back to the fitness summit because he's like six eight, six nine, uh, and that would that would provide me with an op- an opportunity for a new PR. Uh, but like. Patrick's a normal height dude. Like that's not even a challenge. Like why, why would I jump over his head? It's a uh, he feels left out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's child's play. Tell, <laughs> tell him to throw a foot and get back with me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so very last question: What projects do you have coming out? Um, you know, any speaking engagements? Where can people find you online? And anything else you want to plug on my show? You can do that right now. Man, biggest project right now is uh, is my thesis. <laughs> so, nice. so that's going to be my life for the next uh, eight or nine months or so. Um, past that, like the the mass train is still rolling along. Uh, again, research review, um, looking at all of the the new research that is. Uh, most relevant, useful, pertinent for strength and physique athletes and coaches. Um, you can find that at strongerbyscience.com slash mass. Uh, and kind of on the business side of things, that's that's the main thing that uh, that I'm doing these days. Um, just my, my general writings and ramblings, you can find them at strongerbyscience.com. Uh, and if you want to connect, I'm most active on Facebook. Just search Greg Knuckles. Um, my profile picture is me with some uh, some very jacked cattle. Those are Belgian blue bulls. Uh, I think I'm the only Greg Knuckles with that particular profile picture. Um, and I'm yeah, somewhat active on Instagram. I have a Twitter, but I don't really post anything on there. So uh, strongerbyscience.com slash mass for my research review, which is fantastic if I do say so myself. Uh, strongerbyscience.com for free content and uh, Greg Knuckles on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. And I just realized we had one more question, but it might be on the same topic, but uh, someone asked, when is volume two of the book coming out? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of these days. Um, I I wanted to get it out before grad school. Uh, That ended up not occurring. Um, So it's it's not going to be out uh, before I graduate, but that will get, that will get bumped back, uh, to the top of my priority list starting in May, 2019. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 
Alright, so that's gonna wrap up episode 137 with Greg Knuckles. Hopefully you enjoyed that one as much as I did. And remember, if you haven't done this already, make sure you are signed up to the official Cut the Shit Get Fit newsletter, where every week on Mondays I post out great info with you know, stuff I found online, a blog I wrote, a video I put together, and just my thoughts on fitness, health, and the latest Netflix series that I'm watching, and maybe one or two Star Wars references in there. And again, please, 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 please share this podcast with your friends and family, and everywhere on the internet, social networks, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, whatever you're on, share this podcast so we can grow this thing. That's it for me. Until next time, you guys.